Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi there, so Joshy here, um, at Doc underscore Joshy on Twitter, Manchester United fan. Um, thanks for having me on. Hi, Sean Whetstone here, at uh, West Ham Football on Twitter. I had to remember who I was. I'm a West Ham blogger, podcaster, uh, and various other things to do with West Ham. Richard Burns, Manchester City fan, at Richard the Burns on Twitter and on the Blue Moon podcast and write two articles a week about City for Yahoo Sport. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, up first, we're going to go through a couple of quick topics. One thing that I really noticed this week um, as a Tottenham fan was a whole lot of anger at Swansea for setting up to defend for the whole match, which then they succeeded in doing, held, ended up getting a clean sheet. My frustration with the Spurs fans' frustration with this is that we basically did that to Dortmund on Wednesday and then had very short memories to the weekend. So uh, I want to lead off by asking you guys, do you think that that is an acceptable practice? Should teams feel obligated to attack? And what is the role of defensive tactics in the Premier League? Uh, look, um, well, I guess I'll go first, but... As a United fan, with uh, the managers we've had, and well, Mourinho and Louis van Gaal, they're both very pragmatic managers. So for me, I'm used to the fact that these guys will set up for for to, for the opposition that we're about to play, um, and I think that that's fair. I think every team will do that, um, and it will. It obviously depends on the situation, whether you're playing at home or away, whether you're playing against a team that's in in better form than you, whether you're playing a team that's that's just has better quality players than you and in Swansea's case that that is true so you're there's always a place for it. at the end of the day they ha- <clears throat> you have to pick up points you have to get the results so a perfect example from my perspective is the Europa League final last last year you know we, we went there we didn't play brilliant football but we completely nullified Ajax's game and in the end we won 2-0 quite comfortably it wasn't pretty I wouldn't say it was defensive it just wasn't pretty football um, and when you think, think about world football and the league and, and, and stuff there's only ever one, maybe two teams in each league that play their game no matter what. And when you think about world football right now, there's only probably two teams that play the game no matter what in any competition. And I would say Real Madrid are one of them where they just play their game and don't really care about who they're coming up against and and sort of expect to win. And that takes time. You know, these players have played together, grown together, um, developed together. And now they're a list, well, not now, but over the last few years, they've become this immense team probably one of the best team the best side in the world right now and Barcelona did it at their pomp in the at their peak and Bayern Munich do it as well you know there aren't many teams that go out and just play their game no matter who they're going to come up against so absolutely I'm totally um I don't think any team is obligated to attack if you're depending on the situation I mean if if you're a City fan or a United fan and you're playing at home like like we were today and and whatnot, you would expect the team to go out and attack. But generally speaking, if it's a smaller team doing that, I I mean, if I'm on the receiving end of like you know Spurs fans might you might get frustrated with it, but I wouldn't be angry and start. I don't know. I wouldn't. I I just know that there's a there are ways to do things, and that's one of the ways to pick up points. And and teams like Swansea, they need every point they can get. They can get. So if they set up that way. That's the way they have to play, you know, and that's 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 to get the points that they need. From my point of view, um, I think managers forget we're in the entertainment business and not just the results business. So, of course, it's important with the Premier League now to to get the hundred million plus in TV money, but they forget, right? It, it's a full circle. You have to have the entertainment to get picked for for the TV games. You've got to be entertaining. Uh, you know, from a West Ham point of view, we've had two games. Uh, Huddersfield, you know, we'd not won three games, and I won't go into the, the reasons why we had not won the three games, but Huddersfield turned up not really wanting to win the game at the London Stadium, and for 72 minutes, their plan worked. You know, they were stopping us playing the game, but they didn't really have a, a shot on target. Uh, you know, we got a bit lucky on 72 minutes and managed to get one, and then the game opened up a bit. But for the first 72 minutes... It was a very boring game. Fast forward to this weekend and we go to the Hawthorns to play bloody Tony Pulis. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> watching Stoke play sometimes, you know, watching <laughs> West Brom is like watching Stoke. And you're thinking, Christ, you're at home. 
try and play like you're at home. It's yeah. nil-nil. And it was most one of the most boring games I've ever seen. I think, thank God they didn't get picked for TV. Um, you know, I've, I, I've, I've been to the uh, Arsenal-Chelsea game today. Uh, and while it ended nil-nil, there was a lot of effort there. Right, it was a li- there was a little bit of excitement, but the final third didn't work. At least they both teams were going out to win it. In you know, when you look at um, West Brom, I just thought, <laughs> are you going out to win this, guys? You know, you're at home. You should be going out to win it. We should have a good game of football. And I think that's what everybody forgets. You know, people in the end will vote with their feet. You know, there is a re- I, I don't know, but if you look at West Brom, I wouldn't imagine they get the top picks of, of football. The same as Stoke. Um, West Ham had 15 games on the um, on Sky and, and BT Sport last year. And if you look at uh, Man United, it, it's, it, it's in the high 20s. Same with Chelsea, same with Man City. The reason is they're the games that people want to say. It's not just because they're the most supported. It's not just because, you know, they, they, they're in the top four. It's, you know... They, they know there's going to be goals. And let's be honest, you know, it's not just a results business. It's an entertainment. We go to football, believe it or not, to watch a good game of football and watch people score goals. And I think sometimes managers forget that. And, you know, sometimes it's like watching, going back to the old days of Sam Allardyce, I'm afraid. I get where you're coming from totally. But if you look at the way in which um, these managers, are, the kind of pressure they're under, I mean... What's his face at Palace just got sacked after four games. I mean, yeah, they were dreadful, but but it is yeah. you have to get the result in and establish yourself and then start to work on the entertainment. I mean, look at I mean, United are a perfect example with Jose Mourinho last season. We were absolutely atrocious to watch at times, and at times we just didn't get the we just weren't able to finish games off and got so many draws. Um, but he's laid down the foundation and hopefully we, we go on and improve from there. But it's a result. the results are what will keep him in the job and then he can build in terms of the entertainment. I think that's what he said. So I get where you're coming from. And as a fan, obviously, we want to see a whole ton of goals. Um, but I, but if you think about Swansea, if they went to Tottenham and opened up, played, tried to play expansive football, you'd, you'd, li- you'd, probably, you'd probably see them go down quite, quite a heavy defeat with the, with the attackers that Spurs have. So... I think there's a balance, and I totally understand it. I wouldn't begrudge a team like Swansea coming to Old Trafford, trying to set up with five at the back. I mean, Everton did it today, and they did it really well for the most part. I mean, 4-0 did, really flattered us. Um, but, you know, I, I get both sides of the argument, but I, but given the way that the pressure these guys are under, I, I can I totally see why teams are doing that. I'm going to say something controversial. As a fan, I'd rather see us try and fail and even get relegated than play the dull football we saw under Sam Allardyce. You know, if we're going to play, just lump it up, lump it up all season, I'd rather get relegated and spend a a season or two in the championship watching some proper football than, you know, not go for it at all. And and, and that is, is what the teams that have been promoted this year, that's what Brighton needs to do. That's what Huddersfield needs to do. Um, and Newcastle doing a bloody good job of it already. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we need to, they, they need to go for it. You know, sometimes only get one chance of this. Don't go out with a whimper. I think, to me, I think there's a, there's a balance to be struck. I think it depends on, some managers have sort of naturally um, defensive instincts, don't they, or organisational instincts. So you also mentioned uh, Tony Pulis before, is really remarkably successful in what he does um and the way he organizes the team is exceptional and he's um what he did at crystal palace where he took them over when they were looking as good as relegated after 11 games and he got them playing good football um he's sort of over a longer period of time i think replicating at west brom to a point where i would no longer consider west brom a relegation sort of threatened team but they do the the things that would typically be considered boring, and uh, you know the being good at set pieces and all those stereotypes and, and being uh, organised at the back. The, he's made West Brom into a successful team by you know, relative to what they could reasonably expect to do. And well, I, I wouldn't particularly, other than having it on in the background, I wouldn't really turn on a West Brom game to watch them on TV because I don't find it entertaining. But it's a completely legitimate. It's a legitimate way to play, isn't it? I think the, the problem to me comes more when it's unsuccessful as well. 
So, I mean, I accept, obviously, at your point, Sean, you know, you've, you've watched it. you watched West Ham play um, play like that under Allardyce. So, obviously, it's a, a very... Um, and Kerbishly. You know, yeah. We've been through it more than once. But then, <laughs> on the flip side of it, you can, you can have... Like, if a manager's skills aren't in setting up an attacking team, then with the best will in the world, trying it and trying to be entertaining is just going to result in disaster. So I think back to, and granted there's a lot more going on, but when we were managed by Stuart Pearce and we went from January to the end of the season without scoring a goal at home, he wasn't playing particularly defensive. He just wasn't very good at what he was trying to do. And so we became both boring and unsuccessful that way. So I don't see a manager as having um, any particular obligation to play attacking football. There's obviously certain clubs that maybe demand it a little bit more. Um, but I think I, I forget which one of you said it. Eventually, people vote with the feet. If people stop turning up, or if supporters turn in a particular style, then that's when the board or the manager hopefully get the message. But until then, I think there's still a a large valuing of just getting points. Basically, I think your your point of view of just wanting to. Uh, play good football and accepting the, you know, if, if that doesn't go well, I, I would imagine that's probably the minority. And I guess that's why it still prevails that, that teams can be essentially boring in what, like you said, is the entertainment industry. But yeah. isn't there, a, there's two, there's two slightly nuanced arguments here. One is about style of football and the other is about whether in, I mean, in, from my perspective, I, you know, in certain situations you expect teams to go out and be defensive because, yeah, you know, it, to be to, basically, you're respecting the opposition to an extent, or you're fearful, or whatever word you want to use. But that's that's more about in certain situations. So Swansea at Tottenham or Everton came to us there, and Everton generally, they, you know, they don't do that against us, but they're in a bit of a you know state at the moment. So to come to United and try and keep it tight and take us on the break, although they didn't have too much pace. That's that's a legitimate tactic, and it worked for for while, for a while. And and if it wasn't for De Gea, they would have had a couple of goals. Um, but then when you talk about style of football, which is what you play across the the whole season, then I can understand then the, the point of view that Sean's coming across in terms of people will walk with their feet, and you don't want to watch terrible football all year long. You know that I think there's two slightly different things there. And so you know the whole, whole idea of defensive football. Um, I think it, it's it's fine to set up that way if you're doing it for that specific reason. And like I said, it's situational. But I wouldn't necessarily say teams. I don't know many teams that do that as a general tactic. I, uh, you know, there are most teams will try and win the game. I think whenever you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that that's how I see it. I'd agree with that. I think definitely most teams would like to win, but then you do have teams like West Brom, like uh, Sean was saying, where they were at nil and never really pushed forward to get the win. Like a, a nil-nil draw was enough. Um, and my theory is that it's what uh, satiates Tony Pulis. Is, that's what sustains him as a man, is, is nil-nil draws. And then that's how he gets up and goes to work every day. But then, and you're talking about style of play there, I, I thought was a really good point because you have uh, Dan who comes on the show a lot uh, and is our resident uh, West Bromwich Albion fan. And... Right now, West Brom are incredibly stable because of the way Tony Pula sets up. And he and a large contingent of that fan base would rather see the back of him. They, they kind of, to Sean's point, be much more interested to actually watch decent football and potentially risk their Premier League status than just go every week and see dull matches, which, as Richard said, you know, people don't really tune into unless you're a fan of those clubs or have to cover fantasy. I agree that. For some teams and some matches, it should happen, but it should not be your entire ethos uh, as a manager or as a club. All right, one other quick uh, topic before we get on to individual club stuff. Obviously, things are going well in Manchester right now. We have a representative from each of those clubs on right now. City and United, one and two in the table as we speak and have accounted for more than 25% of all the Premier League goals thus far this season. So if you had to think right now, and obviously there will be some bias on this show, 
do you think it's more <laughs> likely that the two teams in Manchester, that one of them will win the title or that the other 18? So would you rather take Manchester clubs or the field in terms of who will win the 2017-18 Premier League title? Um, yeah, no, you go. Yeah, Sean, you go first. I'll given, start as yeah. a neutral, should I? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, watched, um, I watched the game against Arsenal and Chelsea today. Uh, I, I think it, it was a very nervy affair and, and it was a shame because I think both, you know, Lacazette wasn't firing today, but he, he shown he can do it and Chelsea have, can never be underrated. Uh, it just didn't happen. You know, it was a quite an exciting game, as I said earlier, but, but the final third, you know, the final ball was, was pretty rubbish for both teams. But I, I think it's way too early to to give it to Manchester um, and Chelsea will be there and thereabouts and I really do believe Arsenal with Lacazette will be up there as well I know they're in 12th place at the moment um, but I, I do think they'll be there and there Spurs no chance uh, Liverpool <laughs> unsurprising uh, I, take I don't think so <laughs> So give it to London is what I'm saying, unsurprisingly. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I, it is really early doors. So I don't know. It depends what the, is the question, what I would prefer. And the thing is, for <laughs> me, if you're just saying Manchester, then that obviously includes City. So for me, that's still like, uh, <laughs> hang on a second. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if I really want to put that in there. And actually, genuinely speaking, I think City are... Uh, favourites for the title. So I know we've started well, and obviously I think and hope that we win it. But they're they're really clicked, and they're, they're putting teams to the sword very well and dominating games as well. So I think they're the team to beat. Um, it's about, but but they did have that fast start last season as well. So, but it's really really early days, um, as Sean mentioned. So it's it's difficult to say. I will say though, I, I totally disagree about Arsenal. I mean, Lacazette. Um, I wasn't impressed with him today. Granted, I haven't seen too much of him this season, but from what I gather, he hasn't been particularly good. He's take he's going to take time to settle, and Arsenal have far too many issues elsewhere. He's not a good enough player to take them to to the title on his own. Um, you know, you could talk about if you had the Messi in there, then maybe he would. But um, you know, I think they've got far too many issues at the back. Chelsea will be there or thereabouts. I think that's 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 true. They're a very solid unit. They're obviously current champions. Um, but like I say, obviously, as a United fan, we've started well. We've picked up points. We're scoring goals, and hopefully, we can that can continue. But it's only been five games. You can't really make any judgments now. Um, but in terms of where I'd prefer it to go, obviously, I prefer it to come to Manchester, the red half of Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> My my gut feeling at the moment is that it probably will come to Manchester. I wasn't so sure at the start of the season when everybody was um, sort of tipping that. But having seen how it started, that is my gut feeling. But I fully take the point that you can't judge anything too much after five games. We are the proof of that. After the last two seasons, we started... Uh, absolutely on fire. Uh, last season, we won our first 10 across all competitions. The season before, we won our first five league games without conceding a goal. Um, and obviously, both seasons finished miles off the pace and just uh, on, on each occasion, only finished fourth on the final day. So far from getting carried away, what I would say from a City point of view is um, I do think we are much, much better at the start of this season and have already, in a way that we didn't last two seasons at this, uh, when we were flying, we've already overcome a few different types of tests. So the um, the Everton game where we got the, the ludicrous red card and then still controlled the game and got a draw was very impressive. The Bournemouth game where uh, we weren't brilliant but still won it in the last minute um, and what we did create, we took our chances, which was a big improvement on last season where the problem was completely the opposite. We were creating loads but not putting anything away. Um, that, to me, is a massive positive. Um, so I think, I do feel like City are in a really good position at the moment. The the issue um, for us is if we get worked out again, how we adapt, because that's what happened last year. As soon as we were worked out, we couldn't really change. I think the, the full-backs this year, they've made such a difference to the way we play that we've, um, and with the 
the combinations available between Aguero, Jesus, De Bruyne, the two Silvers, so on and so forth. Um, we've got a, a lot more to work with. Um, so it makes me very confident for, for City. Um, and I do feel like United, Mourinho will do what Mourinho does. They're, they're obviously very difficult to beat. He put that in place last season. And in Lukaku, uh, and when Zlatan comes back, there's goals there. Um, and so some of their, I guess, weaknesses have, have been massively addressed. I think Chelsea will struggle a great deal to replicate last season's form. Is it three games they lost in total? I don't mm. think they can do that again. And it might require that to win the league. Uh, and obviously, a bit cliche these days, but the fact that they're back in Europe might uh, will definitely hinder them replicating that kind of form. Um, Liverpool, I don't think, will be near. And I agree with Joshy that uh, I, I don't see Arsenal being anywhere near because they, they have a cycle that they stick to where they have a manager and largely a group of players whose only experience in a title challenge is year after year to fall away. And I think it's it's been proven for around a decade now that that's sort of self-perpetuating. And no matter how good Lacazette might be, uh, I, I don't see anything really changing at Arsenal that that puts them in a title challenge. They might be around a top four challenge, but I don't think they'll be anywhere near first place in truth. Mm. The, the, the thing I was thinking was that there's actually all of these teams that we've mentioned um, have some sort of transition in place like city have bought quite a lot of new players they're all i mean they've started great but they're going there's there's, there's going to be some adapt you know adaptation to that and settling in united have you know they've lost lost zlatan's goals from last season replaced those goals with lukaku but now it's what i'm looking what i'm i've been pleased about is actually you know marshall rashford mkhitaryan even fellaini you know they're all contributing goals so that's where we will, that's the key for us. It's not Lukaku scoring goals, although obviously, you know, he will need to, but that's just going to replace Zlatan. It's sort of the, the surrounding guys. The only team actually I thought would be, would start off a bit, you know, flying, flying a lot better is, is, is Tottenham. And I know there's this thing about playing at Wembley, but I think they just, maybe the, the transfer window, they just needed to inject a little bit of freshness in there. Uh, I don't I don't know what it is, but um, I'm surprised at the way they've started. Uh, I thought because of the, they've got the more more settled team. Um, Chelsea have had issues with Diego Costa um, in terms of the way he's sort of now been phased out. Morata's come in has got to try and replace that, and it's going to be difficult for him as good a player as he is. And you've also got uh, they've lost Matic. They've changed the way they've played. And for me, Matic has been superb for us this season. They may have wanted something different, and Bakayoko is a different type of player, but it's still going to be a transitional period. So there's there's that happening in pretty much all the sides, um, except for Tottenham. And actually, they're the ones that have not quite sort of come out of the blocks firing, which was was with slight surprise. Don't forget New, uh, Newcastle. <laughs> One point more than Spurs. They could be the dark horse. Rafa Benitez could take Newcastle, the barcodes, to the title like they did in Leicester. How about it, Kev? Nope. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back to discuss topics for each guest and each club. All right, and we are back. Uh, Joshi, we'll lead off with you talking about Manchester United. Obviously, the big storyline uh, in Europe this week was, in football, specifically the Champions League, was uh, Paul Pogba's injury. A lot of reports claiming they know the timetable, but then... Jose Mourinho coming out in his post-match presser saying it could be 12 weeks or 12 days. They don't know yet. So if anybody else knows, yep. it's perhaps unfounded. Um, obviously a big blow. Really looked like he was blossoming this season for Manchester United. Do you think we'll see any tactical shifts because of his absence? Or will we just see like-for-like -like swaps with Fellaini and Herrera at times? Well... Yeah, first of all, there is no like-for-like -like swap. For me, Paul Pogba's the best central midfielder in the league. He's by far and away our best outfield player as well. He's superb. And we saw that today. The, the, yeah, Fellaini came in. And in, the, in terms of where he played, so central midfield alongside Matic, it's like for like. But obviously, they're completely different players. And we missed Pogba's composure, his vision, his passing. And the thing is, his ability to sort of hold on to the ball in really tight areas in the midfield and then come away with it and drive forward with it. You know, when you, you when he's not in the side, uh, we sort of struggle at times to, to break teams down. OK, we won 4-0 in the end, but that was more down to Everton being poor at the back and making mistakes. Um, and, but for about 80 minutes of the game, there was a bit of a struggle. So it would be interesting to see how we how we adapt and deal with that. Um, and 
I'm hopeful that it's not 12 weeks, but from what I've read, it will just depend on the type of injury it is, and I won't go into the, the details of it, but I'm hopeful it's not 12 weeks. Um, it's a good it's a uh, uh, it's a good challenge for us as well because obviously you know every team in the world if you lose your best player you're going to miss them. Real Madrid have missed Cristiano Ronaldo this season. Barcelona would miss Messi. Um, so it's a good challenge for us. And and you know mentioned it. Uh, Rich mentioned it in terms of the types of challenges City have had. They've you know come away with the wins at most of the time. And again today we came away with the win. So we'll see how we get on. But there is no like for likes like for like switch for him um i think we will i mean like we did away at stoke we we set up with three in midfield but herrera had a shocker um and actually a lot of the team had a shocker so i'm not sure what Mourinho is going to do i thought he'd be a bit more uh flexible in terms of, i thought we'd see the three at the back quite a bit because he used that in pre-season he did use that last year so that might come out if we end up struggling against sides because it allows us to put two strikers up top uh, Valencia is a perfect wing back on that right side. If Luke Shaw can come back, he's a perfect wing back on that left side, and you can have the three in the middle. So we, we'll see how it goes. But I don't see it's going to be an in, well. I say interesting because I'm I'm not I'm trying not to get, get too upset by the fact that he's going to be out for 12 weeks. But um, we'll see how we get on. But there's definitely no like for like switch. We're going to have to change the way we play uh, to break teams down. Where do you think that uh, attacking presence will come from? I, I I totally understand your point on how there's not a like for like player mold, um, yeah. like Pogba at the club. Will you just have to lean more heavily on say McTarian, who is seeming a lot more like the Dortmund McTarian than the one we saw last year at United? So, yeah. So yeah, absolutely. The, the and this is what I alluded to earlier is those sort of support attackers need to contribute more um, this season than they did last year. So. Rashford, Martial has been superb when he's played this season. Uh, Mkhitaryan, he's picking up assists and he got a goal today, but he he's actually just, he's a weirdly frustrating player. He, he's, he constantly uh, loses the ball because he wants to draw defenders into him and play the ball in at the last minute. But sometimes I just want him to release it early so the attack can sort of carry on. And he loses the ball a lot, but he's picking up assists and goals. So yeah, it will fall on him. It will fall on Mata. Um, like Rashford Marshall already mentioned, Fellaini's picked up a couple of goals, but uh, Lingard came on today actually and did really well. So there's another one. Um, and obviously Lukaku and Zlatan, when they play, they're, they're going to have to pick up goals. So, I mean, I'm not worried from an attacking perspective. What It's more about when we've, we're taking the ball from the back and then transitioning through midfield where we're sort of playing it sideways and we're, we're, we're not really getting the balls in between the channels and the lines, as it were. So... Will, that will work out. I think that will hopefully work itself out because you've got like the the players that I've mentioned and they will have to step up. So from an attacking sense, we've got the players. It's now working out how to feed the ball into them in the, in the right areas and then making better decisions in the final third. Um, I'm just sort of talking about today where we were pretty pretty static and pretty um, uh, poor actually in our decision making in the final third until obviously the last five minutes when we scored three goals and it made it a 4 nil flattering scoreline. Yeah, coming to you now, Sean. Um, West Ham have had an interesting season thus far. One of, the, one of the interesting statistical bits is that you currently still have allowed the most goals in the Premier League, yet have kept two consecutive clean sheets. I'm just curious to hear from a, a West Ham perspective, which of those two things you think is closer to the truth? Yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean... Um... James Collins, known to you, uh, came out and did a, an interview and sort of said, you know, we were miles apart, particularly when we played Manchester United uh, at Old Trafford. Um, I think we were slightly un, un, unlucky at Southampton, and some of that was about losing um, Anatovic so early on, and we came back with two goals. What really, really upset us and really showed we weren't ready was, was the Newcastle game and losing in such a way. Um, so we've had two clean sheets since and we've picked up four points. So we now have got something to build on. Um, we've got Spurs next, yeah, and we've been known to turn you over. Um, so that, that will be a real test. Um, our last game at the London Stadium, we've won. As you know, that evening game, uh, this is an earlier kickoff. So I think it'll be really interesting. We've got the quality there and we've got actually the defensive 
quality there as well. You know, um, Ogbonna and, and Reed, uh, James Collins, we've got Zavaleta, uh, we've got... Um, Cresswell's um, been playing very well. Cresswell um, and, and Masawaki. Um, you know, we've got a lot of, a lot of options there, even has had a, a decent game. There's no reason why we should have conceded so many. I just, uh, I, I, I can't quite put my finger on why we started off so badly. And I think it's all, a, we've, we've old cliche, it's a confidence game, isn't it? Both scoring goals and conceding goals. And when you concede so many, uh, it just sort of carries on. And, and I think it will be, it, the greatest thing for us is two clean sheets now. And that's got to give the defenders uh, a lot of confidence uh, to build on. And uh, you know, game against Bolton in the League Cup, and then and then on to um, face half friendly foes, uh, Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> you have had a fair amount of success against us of late. That is not untrue. Uh, also interested in Joe Hart. Obviously, was uh, a well, maybe not surprising move, but it caught the eye of a, a lot of people, especially in the British media. Uh, he got slated really early on for a lot of those defensive failings. How has he performed since? I, I think it was a good signing. I mean, the only thing I can't understand is why we didn't sign him permanently, uh, why we had to sign him on loan. Um, but I, I, I rate him. Uh, is is he a step up from Adrian? Yes. Uh, is he a step up from Randolph? That's obviously yes. Um, just disappointing that. Well, you know, if he is, if he does that good for us, all we're going to do is put the price up. I know he's at, he's at the end of his career, um, and maybe he's only got a couple of few more seasons in him. But I would, I would say, yeah, he is an improvement uh, to our current goalkeeping skills. And you know, the problem with a goalkeeper is if you make one mistake, then it changes the game. If if a striker makes one mistake then it's just a miss or something, isn't it? It's the same with defenders as well. Mm. Um, uh, but I think he's gelling well. Apparently, and this goes with Zabaleta as well, and, and Man City, uh, you know, love both of them, I think, loved by the fans. And and the real leadership qualities in both of them, Zabaleta and Joe Hart, and really showing some of the, maybe the younger people, like Declan and Rice, really, really gelling well, real good influence having Joe Hart in the dressing room, and at training, and the same goes with Zabaleta. Mm. And uh, many times you've come on discussing the hotness of Slavin Bilic's seat uh, in the dugout. Yeah. What, what, what's it looking like right now? He's looking safe, actually. So, um, as you know, I do have some sources at the club, and we, we talk about this a lot. But actually, he's going nowhere. And I know the media have been talking about all the time, saying, um, oh, you know, there's... You know, he's about, if he loses this job, he's out. My understanding is that's not not even close to it. They've got no one um, at all, really, um, to replace him. You know, talk of Benitez, not true. Talk of, I think, who else did they have? Well, Eddie Howe's not doing much better. But anyway, they've got no one to replace him. What What is happening is he's not going to be off. He's only got a contract at the end of the year. He's not going to be offered a new contract. And this is typical Golden Sullivan. They will allow the contract to, to wind down. This is exactly what they did with, with Allardyce. Um, but, you know, if as long as he can stay in the division, um, he, he will not be, um, he, he, he'll not be for the chop, even if he loses quite a few games. The only thing, I think, where he, he'll be danger of putting some caretaker in is if he's lost like six games in a row and, and he lost the dressing room. But my understanding is he's far from it. The, you know, the, 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 the performance against Huddersfield was the players playing for it. And, and don't believe all this hype about some, you know, discord between the manager and David Sullivan. Uh, David Sullivan doesn't have relationships with his managers in the first place. Uh, it's all by email and text and and on the telephone, he doesn't meet to me. He's not that kind of, of owner. Um, and therefore, I think it's it's business as normal. You know, is he going to be rewarded with a new contract? No. Is he going to be sacked if he doesn't he doesn't start rising up the table? No. 
Um, but I think the writing's on the wall come the end of the season, and I think they will be looking for possibly a replacement over the summer. Interesting stuff for sure. Uh, Richard, it's kind of staying on the manager train. Pep Guardiola has gotten a lot of criticism since coming over to England. Obviously, some of that has died down due to recent success, although, as we said in the opening of the show, don't want to project that too far forward, as said he have started well in the past. Um, do you think these recent successes have been because anything has changed or maybe just the players getting more familiar with the system? Um, no, things have definitely changed. The The buying of the new fullbacks over the summer I don't think can I don't think the importance of that to City and to Guardiola can possibly be overstated. We've had, um, and I've, I've made this point to before, so I'll, I'll try and do it briefly. But we've had years of knowing that our fullbacks were getting older because that's what people do, um, and knowing that we were going to get to a point where when they were all out of contracts, they would all be over thirty, um, and that was going to leave us in a, a position where. If we didn't replace them, then we had nothing. Um, and despite knowing that, and despite seeing other clubs who maybe are quite similar to us go through that sort of process, we never learned from it and we never addressed it. Um, but this summer, we have. We went and bought three fullbacks to replace the four that went, and they look fantastic. Um, Walker played the opening games of the season and looked brilliant and gave us something, um, a significant improvement down the right. Uh, and Danilo in the opening game, uh, Brighton played on the left and he looked, he looked fine, but slowed us down because every time he got forward, um, he wanted to cut back in onto his right foot. So you could see the pattern of play we were trying, but we weren't really getting the benefits of it when we went down the left, which maybe still made us a bit predictable because if we wanted to do anything damaging, we still had to go down the right. And then whilst Walker was suspended, Mendy comes in and looks sensational down the left. And now, lo and behold, the two of them are playing together and we're creating chances for fun and scoring goals for fun. Um, obviously, we can't expect to be averaging four or five goals a game across the season, but... I think this style of play is something that's going to stick because we've got fullbacks that get up the pitch and we, then we've got players in the centre who we, it must be a nightmare for any manager to try and set up against because we can we can pull teams all over the pitch in a way that we couldn't last season. Um, and the way things have gone over the previous two seasons before Guardiola came in uh, is largely responsible for why we weren't great last year. You could argue, and it would be a fair point to say, that he could have been more adaptable, he could have been more pragmatic, but at the same time, you know that if you get Pep Guardiola as your manager, that he's not going to do that. So that's part of what we voluntarily, position that the club voluntarily put itself into by pursuing Guardiola for four or five years. We knew we'd have a manager who wouldn't really change his style. He adapts to a league, but he doesn't change his style and his core principles. And I think we're seeing the benefits of that now. His fullbacks were, have always been crucial to the way he plays. How far they push up dictates what the, the holding midfielder does, which then dictates what the attacking midfielders in front of him do. And it sets the line and the almost the tempo for, for everything that City do. It's allowed uh, De Bruyne to drop deeper, or sometimes that's silver, but mainly it's been De Bruyne who is um, the at the moment absolutely sensational as a playmaker. Um, the only problem we've ever really had with De Bruyne is consistency. And if he has a bad game, he sort of, or if he has a bad start to a game, he sort of stays bad. Uh, so hopefully, now with a, a bit more experience under his belt and with the team arguably being built around him a bit more, uh, that's he's going to be much more consistent and um, continue to put in performances like he's put in this week. Uh, and the the options that gives us um, and that gives Guardiola a frightening offer. Essentially, I mean it's not. It's not just as simple as bringing in two fullbacks, but tactically, last season I was talking about not really seeing a way that Jesus and Aguero could play together. And actually, what we're seeing now is they can, and it, it sort of comes back to having fullbacks that can create for and that can that are massively multifunctional in a way that we didn't have last year. So it makes sense now of what Guardiola wants to do with City. Um, and so a lot has changed. We're also, um, I think, that has gone under the radar a little bit. We're not just scoring for fun, but we're keeping clean sheets as well. Um, and it's when you've scored 15 goals in three games, obviously that's going to be the headline grabber. But we kept three clean sheets and there's no team in, in the league that has conceded less goals than us. 
we've only conceded two. And one of those was unmitigated, absolute screamer from Charlie Daniels that you don't <laughs> stop. So uh, that's not so been perfect. Liverpool probably should have had one or two against us before the Mane card. Uh, and uh, I think it was Richardson could have scored a header yesterday uh, from a free kick that who knows that might have changed the game because that was nil nil. However, uh, we are defending tighter, and that's without company being there at the moment. Uh, John Stones has, has really stepped it up and a goal far more. Sort of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he in defence looks sort of far more assured, and is um, I'm not always a, the biggest stats guy, but his stats for. Uh, sort of every area of the game at the moment are incredibly impressive uh, and it makes a big difference and we've also got a keeper who now is doing what he's meant to do one in saving shots and two is so assured with his distribution so a lot has changed but it's it's sort of changing along the lines of what we wanted to change to last season but couldn't it's just a, it's a step forward in towards achieving what Pep wants to achieve I guess a natural evolution yeah, another thing we've talked about in the past was uh, Leroy Sané about how he finished last year seemingly in favor and in very good form, did not start particularly in great form this year, obviously had two goals in a sub-appearance last week, didn't start the Champions League match, didn't start the Premier League match again today. What do you think his role will be for the rest of the season? Um, we're going to rotate a lot, and so his chances will still be there. He's got a few substitute appearances, and I, um, I think Pep's a big fan. Um, but I suppose the part of the drawback of having, if we play three at the back with the, the um, Mendy and Walker or uh, Danilo acting as wing backs, then having those two pushing so high and wide makes it very hard then to get Sterling and Sané in. And around sort of December to February, March last year, the best thing about going watching City was uh, being excited about Sané and Sterling starting together because they were sensational. Uh, and now all of a sudden it is hard to see how they, they both get in the team together. The the challenge to Sané really is step up and up your game because I think Guardiola's a pretty sort of meritocratic manager. If he sees in training and in the chances that Sané gets that actually he can produce more than the players that are ahead of him, he can be more creative, he can get more goals, he can work as hard as all our other creative players, then he'll get his chance. Um, obviously, I'd like him to start a lot of games because he's a phenomenal talent and I'd hate him to be marginalised. What we need from him is very much what he, he showed against Liverpool, where obviously the game was already won by the time that he came on, but sort of everything he did had a purpose. Uh, there was there was nothing wasted about him uh, or about what he did, and he was very very effective. And the two goals were icing on the cake rather than sort of making any practical difference. But he looked good. He looked really. Uh, the one thing that's perhaps counted against him this season, which is a bit unfair, was he was played at left wing back in the home game against Everton, and that was the uh, sort of squarest square peg in the roundest round hole. It just didn't work at all. And then that got people frustrated with him talking about how bad he was. But you might as well have put him in net for how out of place he looked. And, and that sort of, if that's not his position, it's not his position. So I felt a bit sorry for him in that game. I thought he was probably judged a bit harshly. Poor though he was, there were very much mitigating circumstances. All right, thanks, Richard, for that. Uh, now we're going to head into Player Watch, where we're going to continue kind of talking about what we were just talking about, Sané, about player rotation, because we have the League Cup, which I refuse to call its new name because it has a new name every year. Um, but we have the League Cup. We obviously have Champions League and Europa League back as well. Which players at your club are most in line to be rotated and will miss out on Premier League minutes? We'll lead in with you, Joshy. Um, I think one of the... well, This probably doesn't necessarily relate to the League Cup or Champions League, but Ander Herrera hasn't really had a look in this season. I mean, he played away against Stoke, and but he was he looked like a player who hadn't had any minutes and he was very rusty. Um, and this it's all a bit strange because last season he was probably our uh, player of the year and and certainly one of the first names on the team sheet. This season he's, you know, he wasn't even on the bench last week. He came on today for 10-odd minutes, I think. Um, so, yeah, he's someone who's who's missed out on, um, on minutes this year. Um, I don't know what's going on there. There's some rumours going around that, that he fell out with Jose 
because last season when we played against Celta Vigo, he showed one of his mates around Carrington and he was, I think, one of the Celta Vigo staff or something. I don't know. That's sort of something that's been going on, going around. But there are rumours of some sort of falling out and he's not getting the minutes. I just think that Mourinho bought Matic and he's playing a different system and therefore he's not got the minutes. And then when he did have his chance against Stoke, he was very poor. And then Fellaini had an excellent game in midweek uh, or on Tuesday when he came for Pogba. So this weekend against Everton, he went with Fellaini. He had an excellent game and Herrera had a shocker the last time he played. So to me, on that in that sort of isolated uh, situation, it, it, it felt like the right decision. And I'm not Fellaini's biggest fan, and, and you know, and I'm saying that. So he's someone. Uh, it will be interesting to see whether he plays against Burton Alb, Burton Albion on Wednesday. I think we're playing, um, and then see what what happens with him over the course of the season. Um, uh, you'd have thought if there was a falling out last last year, then he would have been shipped off in the summer. So I, I'm a bit skeptical about that story. Um, but yeah, he's certainly someone who's missed out on the minutes. Um, who else? I think. Mourinho's done a pretty decent job at the moment of rotating the team. Ashley Young came in midweek and today, and he did an excellent job midweek. He was at right back today. He was at left back. Uh, he's, he's done a good job. Um, and then with the centre-backs, he's been forced to rotate because of Bay and Jones being suspended in Europe. And he's easing Lindelof back into the side. Um, so that Lindelof may get a game out against uh, against Burton. Uh, but other than that, I think there's. It's going to be interesting how he sort of manages the Pogba situation as well. So yeah, the, the, I think the squad is in a good place. People, we, you know, last year we had a lot of games, and I think this year again, hopefully, we'll go far in, in a lot of the competitions, and there will be a lot of games. So people will get their minutes. They just have to be patient, take their chance when they come. Uh, and uh, aside from Herrera, I don't see any sort of. And that's uh, that's a rumor anyway. So I don't. But aside from that, I don't see any um, major issues in terms of players sort of missing out. The other one, actually, I would uh, just like to mention is is Luke Shaw. I think he's someone. He's now back. At, I think he's at back at full fitness in terms of his training. He's, he's in full training, so he's training with the first team squad. He wasn't in the match day squad today. So he's someone I think um, I'd really like to see get back into the side and and hit top form. Um, and, you know, Rich was talking about the fullbacks at City and at United. It's a similar situation. And, you know, Valencia gives us so much down that right-hand side. And uh, if we can get uh, Luke Shaw playing to his best down that left-hand side, it's going to be really, really complimentary. Uh, and it does offer so much when your fullbacks can get up and down with pace and offer something, uh, offer that width. And then, you know, because we don't really have any natural wingers. So you've got Anthony Marshall. You've got Mata, you've got Mkhitaryan, you've got Rashford, and you've got Lingard. They're playing those wide positions and they do well. You know, they've all each got their attributes, but they're not sort of natural hug the touchline, get across in. So we rely on the fullbacks for that width. So at the moment, Valencia gives it to us down that right. But um, Ashley Young or Daly Blint or, you know, Rojo, when he, if he used to play there. Uh, Damian, you know, these guys, they're not the kind of up and down type wing backs that, or, or, or fullbacks that you'd want. So hopefully Luke Shaw will get some game time and start to get some match fitness, uh, you know, against Burton and we'll go from there. But I think we're one of the good things about the squad is there's it's really good spirit. So even when players don't play, there's none of this where well, there doesn't seem to be um, much sulking and, and sort of uh, petulance and even, you know, Herrera, whenever he's had interviews, you know, this year, he hasn't had any sort of, there's not even any, any rumblings or anything like that. So it's a good situation. Mourinho is managing it well. Um, and I think that, that you know, we're, we're in a good state. I'd like to see some of the younger players come in as well. But, you know, they're not going to get a lot of Premier League minutes. So hopefully they can come in in the cup competitions against these types of teams and get some minutes too. So, yeah, no, I think we're in a good good state in terms of that in terms of that side of things. Yeah, Sean, this is a really interesting question for you considering what's going on on your wings right now because you have Andre Ayew and Marko Arnautovic, neither of them particularly starting. I assume we'll be seeing them in, in matches with his rotation by Slavin Bilic? Yeah, we've got uh, the League Cup. Uh, um, I've got to call it the Milk Cup, maybe, uh, against Bolton at home. So we, I mean, Adrian will come in at goal, um, without a doubt, uh, for Joe Hart. And just starting at the back first, 
you know, we'll probably rotate the, the, the right back and, and the left back. So I can see Sam Byron coming in on the right and, and Masuaku coming in on the left. I've, just while we've been recording this, I've heard that uh, James Collins' old, old Ginge has suffered really bad uh, ankle ligaments. And I think that's going to break soon. Uh, he's got a scan. He could be out for three months. So Obono will come in. I think they're going to bring Declan Rice in, uh, who, the youngster. So I really think they've started to big him up in Premier League games. And I think I can see him coming in. Uh, as you say, uh, Anatovic, I think, I mean, remember, he was he was sent off for one game and then he, he was he was um, he, he was suspended for three games. And, and Slavin Bilic has this thing of not changing a winning team. So that is why, even though AU came on as a super sub at the, um, the Huddersfield game and scored one goal and assisted another, this is, this is Slavin Bilic. He doesn't change a winning team. That's why Arnautovic was on the bench. That's why AU was on the bench. Both of them came on. Uh, both of them couldn't break the deadlock at, uh, at the Hawthorns anyway. But yes, I think both of them will start. There's a, there's a rumour that Lanzini could be coming back uh, for his uh, first game for many weeks and he's been sorely missed also a rumour that uh, Mark Noble could be coming back he, he had a little tweak in training two weeks ago he's missed two games so our skipper Mark Noble coming back um, I think uh, Hernandez uh, Chikorito will be rested and I, I would imagine that they will start with um, Diafrasacco to try and get him to prove his his worth. Um, but I think there will be quite a lot of changes uh, for the League Cup and also use a bit of an opportunity to bring a few of the, the players that have been out through suspension um, tactics or, or, or injury as well. And, uh, you know, I don't think not being unfair to Bolton, they're not playing the best football they have. They're not in great form at the moment. So we won't be too complacent, but I think we have a lot, quite a lot of change of personnel and hopefully uh, cruise through to the next round. Famous last words, of course, there, Kev. <laughs> yeah, magic of the cup and all that. Oh, Richard, we already talked about the Sané substitution, or sorry, the Sané uh, rotation in that last bit, but I assume there will be other changes for you? Uh, yeah, I would guess so. One of the ones I'm most uh, interested in is what we do up front because our options are basically if we want to play with a conventional striker and, and not try the false nine stuff where we, we put De Bruyne up there, um, our options are basically Aguero or Jesus, who are obviously very prominent in the other competitions and the, the League Cup would be the one where ideally... You'd rest both of them if you could, but we don't have that option. So I'm intrigued by that. Um, I don't know necessarily that we'll be able to read anything into it as to who Pep's preferred striker is if he can only generally play with one. Um, I'll just sort of be, be watching with interest who he chooses. I would quite like him to start with Aguero selfishly uh, because he's only three goals from being our all-time top scorer and he'd have a chance at getting one or two against West Brom. And then our next two games are at home, and I really want him to get that record at the Etihad. So, uh, yeah, I'd like him to start Aguero for that reason and for no sort of tactical thought at all. Um, I want, I'm want. i very interested with what's happening with Yaya Torre, because I don't know if you saw, there were some quotes recently uh, from Pep where he was asked why uh, we've not seen uh, anything of Yaya this season. I think he was on the bench against Brighton and I'm not sure he's even been on the bench since. He's certainly not played a minute. Um, and obviously last season he was quite important after they put aside their, their differences and he signed a new contract in the summer so it was obviously very wanted. Um, and now Pep's saying he, he was sort of very uh, secretive about what's gone on where he isn't usually. He just said that Yaya knows what he needs to do. And when he was asked if it was, was he not training well, he just said, no, no, it's not football reasons. He, um, and he was, and then again, the journalist said, will we see him soon? And Pep said, I hope so. He knows what he needs to do. So I'm very in intrigued as to what's going on there. Um, I would imagine knowing how sort of incongruous Dimitri Shellock is as Yaya's agent, if there was any major issue there if there'd been some big falling out we'd probably have heard about it by now 
So um, my sort of gut instinct is that it's probably a fitness issue. He, he's come back from pre-season carrying a few extra pounds before, as yeah, yeah. Um, but if he was going to sort of be re I mean, he's training with the first team and everything. So if he was going to be reintegrated back into the first 11, then this would be as good a time as any to do it, I guess. But I don't really know what's going to happen there. Um, and then after that, it's take your pick from the sort of creative players. A lot of our youth players that we would ordinarily be able to bring into these games have been farmed out to all our little feeder clubs that we have, like Girona in Spain. And we seem to, although I don't think it's an official agreement, we seem to send a lot of players off to uh, NEC Breda in, in Holland. So I don't know. It's not a, an insightful answer, but I, I, given the way Pep rotates anyway, I would sort of guess Sane would probably get a start because he's not started a whole lot. Gundogan would be the other one coming back from injury. I wouldn't be surprised if he started. He's played in a couple of the behind-closed-door games. Um, and in that weird friendly that we had after the first game of the season at Girona, he played in that and he came on uh, against Watford. So other than thinking Sane and Gundogan will probably start, I don't really know. I, I wouldn't know how to call it. Who else gets the nod, to be honest, other than say there will be some rotation. Mm. Yeah, I definitely agree. It'll be interesting to see how you eventually rotate the season up front because that's why I was so surprised by you letting Ihe Nacho go. Although he does need minutes and you do have a buyback. He seemed like that was his role. And now he's not there. Um, for Tottenham, I think in this specific week, um, we'll probably see Lorente instead of Kane. We'll probably see Nkudu on one of the wings. He just uh, passed fitness. Uh, Juan Foyth, who we signed from Estudiantes, uh, is a center back that is going to replace that youth center back role that Cameron Carter-Vickers had before we loaned him out. Um, to I think it was Sheffield United. Uh, and then the two question marks are Marcus Edwards, who's been a huge prospect for our youth teams for years. He's been on a ridiculous goal-scoring streak uh, for our youth teams. Um, whether or not he'll get a, a chance, we'll, be, we'll pretty much find out tomorrow or today as you're listening to this because uh, I think our U23s play on Monday. So if he's included in that squad, he obviously wouldn't be included on Tuesday. Uh, and then Harry Winks who has been struggling with injury through most of the preseason um, and hopefully will be fit. Uh, but if he's not, he may miss out. But we, we definitely like to get a better look at him. Um, one of the weird downsides from not being in the Europa League is not seeing these players more um, because we obviously have to play a much stronger 11 in the Champions League uh, than we would back in those, uh, <laughs> I almost said, fun Europa League days and notice what an oxymoron that was. Um, but yeah, I, I think the League Cup is where we'll see a lot of heavy rotation. As for Champions League weeks, uh, we made it pretty clear that Trippier and Aurier are in a rotation, um, at least for the time being. I think we will see a Sun-Ali rotation as well until Ali can fully come back in in the Champions League. And then it may just swap, to be fair. We may just start seeing Sun in the Premier League and Ali in, in the uh, Champions League, although that would be harsh considering how well Sun played against Dortmund. Um Ben Davis was somehow rotated this weekend, even though we didn't have another left back. So we just kind of played Jan there and kind of covered him with Sun. was not very effective. Pretty much everything Swansea did uh, when we had that set up was down that right flank, our left, obviously. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what we do midweek and going forward in terms of rotation. I think uh, we've seen, and, and <laughs> kind of to wrap this all the way back up uh, to our first opening topic, uh, the, the teams that have won the title the past few years have all been teams that pretty much stuck with their best 11 throughout the majority of the season. Obviously, the last two weren't in European competitions when they won it. It'll be a lot more interesting this season to see how basically the top six do now that all of them are in Europe this season. So, uh, yeah, just keep an eye on all of that rotation. It should make for some interesting decisions in football and uh, takes <laughs> throughout the rest of the season. But with that, we will wrap up for today. So if you'd like to tell folks where they could find you or any projects you're working on, now would be a good time. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, guys, for having me on. Um, I've been, <clears throat> uh, I'm on Twitter at doc underscore Joshi. Um, I feature on podcasts, including this one, obviously, um, a couple of YouTube channels, uh, a write for the Sportsman website, and uh, a couple of other blogs as well. So, yeah, look me up on Twitter. Hi, I've been Sean Whetstone. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at West Ham Football. 
Uh, we've just uh, relaunched new technology for our West Ham podcast called More Than Just a Podcast. That's more as in Bobby Moore, M-O-O-R-E. Uh, I also write for a West Ham news site called ClarenceHugh.info, where we, we update about 20 stories a day to do with West Ham. And I write a Sunday column for WestHamTillIDie.com um, as part of my blogging activities. Thanks for listening. Yeah, Richard Burns. Um, I am on Twitter at Richard the Burns. I'm on the Blue Moon podcast, which is a uh, Manchester City specific podcast released every Friday. And I write two articles a week for Yahoo Sport about City. Thank you for listening. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, at Kevroff on Twitter. You can find all of my fantasy Premier League writing over at goal.com. Uh, under the gaming tab, of course, you can also listen to us talking fantasy on the FPL roundtable, and we also have the championship roundtable on this very channel as well. Lots of other assorted bits and bobs, but if you just check out the Twitter, I'm sure I'll mention them over there. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Mm-hmm.